This is another form of loss. It's a loss of our imagined future. It could be the loss of a job, the loss of freedom, the loss of human touch. It's loss, but most of us know how to survive loss and heal and grow from it. And I don't think this will be any different. Obviously, this exempts those people who have a loved one die from this terrible disease. But even that, we do know most of us have lost a loved one. We know that somehow we find a way to integrate that loss into our life and to move forward and, and live and laugh again. As the cliche saying of the day goes, well, then that happened. Um, when difficult stuff has happened in my life, I have been fortunate uh, to be able to turn to my rabbi, uh, Steve Leader. And it just so happens that we had completed the podcast uh, a couple days before Mayor Garcetti instituted his stay at home order for all of us here in Los Angeles. And as we know, much has happened since then. Um, I've asked Steve to, in essence, rejoin us um, to talk about how uh, his life, the life of our congregation, um, and anything else that he sees uh, has evolved and changed uh, uh, in, in, in his view uh, over the past, what must now be about a month or so. I couldn't just put the podcast up without adding this to it. So, Steve, thank you for for joining us today. Yeah, of course. Um, the first question I'm making sure I ask from COVID on uh, is, is asked with, with not just a throwaway spirit, and that is, how are you, really? Um, how are you doing um, now? Uh, you know, there, uh, Heinrich Heine had this joke about the Jews. He said... The Jews are like everyone else, just more so. <laughs> so how am I? I'm more so. Uh, I'm, I'm more so in a crisis. So I, I'm the kind of guy who always ran toward a fire, not away from it, you know, to try and put it out. And now that's more so. I feel very much called to duty here uh, in these circumstances. Uh, and you know, my whole life, I've kind of dealt with, um, the outside world by working very, very hard. Um, work has always been a sanctuary for me. So I'm working even harder now, you know, there's certain times in, in my career where I've just found this extra gear that you can only find a few times in your lifetime. Um, uh, this, this extra gear of effort and motivation and, and consequence for failure. So I'm feeling that now. So I'm, I am, I'm working, uh, you know, 12, 13, 14 hours a day. I don't know where the day goes. I start my day every morning, uh, with an eight 30 phone call with one of our local politicians. Uh, and then somehow you know, it's seven or eight o'clock at night and my wife's telling me, hey, come on and eat. Yeah, Time for yeah. dinner. So the days are speeding by. Uh, I'm spending a lot of time trying to raise money to keep operations going as seamlessly as possible and to feed as many hungry people as we can through our 
uh, social services center. And I'm spending a lot of time trying to keep people calm and give them a sense of meaning and purpose in all of this. And frankly, the, uh, the waves of funerals are now starting to hit the shores. You know, these waves that were offshore that we knew were coming are now landing on the beach. And so, you know, I, yesterday, no, I'm sorry, Tuesday, before noon, I was dealing with six different deaths on Tuesday. Mm. Uh, four of them COVID related. So, you know, that's happening. Um, but the short answer to your question is, without dismissing the seriousness of this pandemic and the consequences of it, both spiritual, physical, and economic, I'm, I'm invigorated right now. This whole thing to me is epic. It's an amazing thing to be in the middle of and a part of. It's surreal. It's powerful. It's, um, it's a massive reset on a global scale. Uh, so I'm, I'm fascinated and invigorated uh, by the whole thing. And at the same time, terribly sorry that we're in this circumstance in the first place. Yeah. It's curious when you experience that type of, uh, I'll call it positive uh, emotion, invigorated, mm -hmm. excited. Um, do, you might not even have the time to do it, but you know, you have, other colleagues and friends in the rabbinical and clergy business. And you said you talk to the politician every day, politicians, are they feeling that or are you weird that way? I think it's all more so leaders lead people who are observers, observe people who wait to be told what to do or waiting to be told what to do. Uh, people who are narcissists and make it all about them are even more narcissistic I think this is just everyone is being who they normally are, but more so. More so. Yeah. So I think I've always been on, on one side of the spectrum in terms of work being a response to the life, to life situations around me. Um, you know, I, I talk to some of my colleagues uh, once a week. We have a, a call and... I don't know that they're feeling it quite the same way I am, but I, you know, they're doing, they're leading the way in which they are used to leading. I'm Got leading in the way in which I'm used to leading. So, um, am I weird? Yeah. You know, I think that I'm, I'm, I think I'm unusual in my field and now yeah. I think I'm even more unusual. There we go. All right. And weird in this case was a compliment, of course. Yeah, um, no, I, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, you know, you know, it does stand out as a, as a, asking people these days, both on the podcast and otherwise, how they're doing. Uh, I, of course, am, am uh, I, I enjoy hearing the people report that like you're and, doing and I'm and, not hearing much of it. So, yeah. And listen, I also do have real worries. You know, my retirement uh, savings are down. Yep. You know, 14 percent. Uh, my son was laid off. Yep. And uh, we had to scramble for health insurance for him. And he's he's sitting around feeling down about it. Um, yep. You know, my wife is immunocompromised and we have to be hyper vigilant around her. You know, I'm not without my real world worries, but the overwhelming feeling is is one of being called into battle. 
And that's a call that uh, I am, I've always been highly motivated to, to answer. Yeah. Well, speaking of that, when we did the podcast a couple of years ago, uh, I don't remember the exact release date of your last book. November, uh, 2017. Yeah, but who's counting, right? November 2017. <laughs> um, but 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 I was I was relooking at that the other day uh, because it really uh, is a hanging curveball, as they say, for for this talk. Uh, and it's the first chapter of your book of that book, mm-hmm. uh, more beautiful than before. Uh, and you invoke the old expression: "If uh, when you must, you can." Right. To me, that that personally hits me every day, both in the work that I'm doing. uh, But more than that, just my observations of, you know, the changes that have gone on. And I, I look around and I, and I listen to people and it, it really is living proof of the old expression of what people have done because they, whether it was mayor Garcetti or, Governor Newsom or whoever it was, because we had to. And uh, have you continue. noticed, right? What have yes. you noticed? Yes. And well, look, uh, first of all, I think some perspective is in order. As bad as this is, and it's bad. And I think the economic, I'm not an economist, but you don't have to be an economist to know that the echo effect on this in terms of economics is going to be long, loud, and profound. Um I think we're all going to live with less and do with less for, for years to come. But this is far from the worst thing that's ever happened uh, to our society, to the planet, uh, to the Jewish people, and frankly, to many of us. Um, you know, I ask people when they are worried about this to talk with me about the most difficult things they've ever been through in their lives. And most people have been through something more difficult than this. Um, You know, this is another form of loss. It's a loss of our imagined future, could be the loss of a job, uh, the loss of freedom, the loss of human touch. Um, It's loss, but most of us know how to survive loss and heal and grow from it. And I don't think this will be any different. Obviously, this exempts those people who have a loved one die from this terrible disease. Um, But even that, we do know most of us have lost a loved one. We know that somehow we find a way to integrate that loss into our life and to move forward and and live and laugh again. And I think I know this will be the same. And I'll tell you something else that has really touched me very deeply personally. This crisis has given me the opportunity to fall in love yet again with my tradition, with the wisdom of the Talmudic sages, with the wisdom of the rabbis. There is no aspect of the human condition that they did not think through very deeply 1,500, 1,600, 1,800, 2,000 years ago. Our tradition, our people are so deeply and well-schooled in navigating through darkness toward the light. And I have fallen in love again in a very deep way 
with the wisdom of my own tradition. Mm-hmm. Mostly what I'm doing when I'm talking to people on podcasts now and, uh, or, or talk shows or newscasts, well, all I'm really doing, Drew, is I'm opening up the minds of the rabbis for people and everything they had to say about getting through something terribly difficult because they said a lot and it was very wise. Uh, so I feel almost like uh, an imposter, really. Well, I, I'm a I'm a transmitter of something that is not real that I didn't create, mm-hmm. um, but I am comforted by it and moved by it, and and it seems to be helping a lot of other people too. So, so for the, the listener who is um, not Jewish uh, and doesn't have the time to spend with you or or to read, what comes to your mind's eye as, as, as a go-to point to, in essence, prove what you just said? Uh, I would point to the verse in the 23rd Psalm, which virtually everyone in Western civilization knows. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. Now, let's break that verse down for a moment. There are two, I think, very profound ideas within that verse. First of all, the poet says, we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We don't stay in it forever. We put one foot in front of the other, in front of the other, in front of the other. And somehow by simply moving forward one step at a time, we do find our way through these terribly dark times. You know, I'm spending a lot of time encouraging people to stop catastrophizing the future and start replacing that catastrophic thinking with a better set of questions about what can I do in the next hour that's actually meaningful and helpful and loving and productive for me or someone I care about. In other words, just take one step, one hour at a time, forward, 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 and this will eventually be behind us. That's the first thought I would share about that verse. The second is even deeper, more nuanced, which is if you think about a shadow for a moment, imagine this valley of shadows. No matter how long or dark a shadow may be, if you think deeply about it, it's actually proof of life and proof of light. You cannot have a shadow unless the light is still shining from behind whatever object is obstructing that light. Shadows, darkness, fear are actually proof of light and love and faith in the future. So I I don't feel abandoned. I don't feel um, cursed. I feel compelled to take the next step, the next step, and the next step. And to recognize that the fear and anxiety and darkness we're feeling is a reflection of the greatness that still stands behind it all. And that will be ours again when we walk back out into the light. Yeah. You know, you can, this notion of one foot in front of the other, I shared with a client today and I would be honored if you stole this. Um, The guy was talking about how difficult it is, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I, I shared with him the story. I, I don't remember the gentleman's name, but he climbed Mount Everest. Um, he happened to have only one leg, though, uh, and a crutch. 
And he climbed Mount Everest. He got back to the bottom and they said, um, how did you do it? And he said, one hop at a time. Right. So, right. It, it is, it certainly guides, guides me to get out of bed every day. Yeah. Uh, and, and take those steps. So, so, um, thank you for, 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 for sharing that. Let me get, when we talked about your first book, uh, sorry, yeah. your last book, um, and now comes the, the, the one forthcoming next year. And that one, uh, is about death. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, I'm, yes and no. Yes and no. Remember, the title is The Beauty of What Remains. So it's really about what loss, what death teaches us about life. Mm. Now think about that in the context of this pandemic. Think about once we have suffered all of this loss, think about the beauty of what remains. I mean, let's not dismiss the loss for the painful loss that it is, but I'm sure you're no different than I am and neither are your listeners. Like we're all on social media now looking at people sharing their thoughts. We're all reading columnists and essays and yeah, this for a very terrible reason, eliminating so many things from our prior lives has created a vacuum in which some very beautiful things have begun to flourish. Beautiful things like time with our children, uh, like time to think and read and write and reflect, like cooking dinner together, like cleaning the house together, um, like helping our neighbors whose names we never even took the time to learn before this. Um, So the book is called The Beauty of What Remains because death creates beauty in relief. Mm. And, and I believe the same is true of this virus. It's creating something quite beautiful. So this virus has taken a lot away, but what it's done is revealed an awful lot of beauty that we didn't pay much attention to before. That was there the whole time. Correct. Hiding in plain sight. Got yeah. It. Well, let me ask you this is, is you've heard me as you've sat there as I've wandered through these podcasts, um, you know, I say that it's supposed to be a conversation about conversations. And mm-hmm. I, I, I must ask before I let you go, um, when it comes to helping people mourn mm-hmm. uh, and deal, you talked about the number of funerals and all the rest. I, I just got a simple question. If, if people are wearing a mask that means that you don't get to see part of their face correct and read their emotions that's what i'm that's what i'm hunching in terms of the nonverbal communication and the signals so how are you how are you as a as a as a as a consoler mm-hmm. um evolving when you can't see what you saw before Well, thank goodness I'm not a young rabbi and I have developed instincts over my 33 plus years of helping people face death. So it doesn't take much for me now in terms of verbal or physical cues. It doesn't take much for me to be able to dial into where a person is emotionally. Uh, Whereas when I was, you know, a 30 year old rabbi, I might have needed 
10 cues. Now, yep. now I need one and I, and I can pretty much dial into where people are. One comment, one, one gesture, um, mm-hmm. one tear is enough for me to know, you know, where this person is and how best to reach them. Mm. So uh, I think it's a good thing that I have experience. Um, and of course the emotions surrounding death, uh, are grief is a, is a universal human experience, you know, so it, it's not that hard to understand, especially if you felt it yourself. Um, and I, and I will say that Death from this virus, there's an unfairness to it. But I've been dealing with people who are facing unfair deaths of loved ones. I've been doing that since day one. When I started as a rabbi, I was doing AIDS funerals every week. You know, talk about a mysterious killer, an unfair killer. Uh, you know, I've been dealing with unfair deaths or deaths that don't make sense for more than three decades. And, and, and so this is no different. And, and I remind myself of that. One of the best ways to get through this crisis is to realize it's not as unprecedented as we think. You actually, Drew, have been through difficult things before in your life. You have dealt with uncertainty before. You have dealt with economic downturn. You have dealt with feeling cooped up. You know, uh, We have all, in many ways, already been through something like this. It has its unique components, but not as many as you would think once you really start to examine it. And I think that's a very helpful way to think about this. Like, I do know how to get through these things. I do know about loss. I do know about uh, anxiety. I do know about an uncertain future. Uh, And so I treat these funerals and deaths no differently. I mean, is dying of this virus really any more capricious than someone being killed in an auto accident. Uh, you know, so I, I just respond in as, in as humane and empathetic a way as I possibly can, but that's what I've always done. Yep. Mm. Well, the question that I'm, that I'm wondering every day and that I'm going to, that I'm committed to getting stronger in some of my answers and perspective on uh, you just helped with a lot uh, kind of accidentally, but that is what hasn't changed because that's what everybody, you said it yourself, how the world is going to be economically for sure. And we're going to live with less. There is, there is change. But when you talk about what has been revealed um, the sculpture idea, which you mentioned yes. in the in the top of the podcast, people right. listen to here. Yep. Um, it's it's always been there, uh, and now it is just in much sharper relief. As, yeah, and and you know, look, I actually hope I'm writing an article today about uh, so Passover ended yesterday, and how happy people are to see Passover end but also how tragic it is that Passover ends because then it gets easier to forget about the great themes of Passover, Uh. like liberation, like, uh, like freeing oneself from oppression, like faith, uh, like reaching out to the hungry and the poor, like living with hope when we fling that door open at the end of the Seder and say next year in Jerusalem. So it'll be a good thing when this virus ends, but it will 
it will also create the challenge to remember its positive lessons yep. about about the fact that we really are in each other's hands, that we really are an interrelated, global, fragile community, uh, that we really do need each other, that politicians really matter, uh, and that and that. And that each of us is challenged to uh, do more with less and to count our blessings. And let's not just go right back to who we were before all of this. We all have a default setting. Yep. I hope we make some adjustments to that setting when this is all behind us. If not now, right? If not now, then. That's right. <laughs> well, uh, Ari, uh, my executive producer is certainly as we put all these times that we have recently talked together is going to say, you now hold the record for the longest podcast. And I could not be more proud to let you own that, uh, that record because everything you have said, uh, once again, uh, has been incredibly helpful. Um, inspiring, and most importantly, genuine, real, and candid. And that means, it always means a lot to me. To, well, to, and, to and, uh, and you mean a lot to me, and so does your family. And I Thank want you, you all, all to stay healthy and safe, okay? We're doing that. Okay, Thank, pal. Thank you, Steve. Shabbat You're shalom. welcome. Shabbat shalom. Bye-bye. Yeah.